back in my days of policing when I first came off uh, active duty with the Marines, I took a job with the Clark County Sheriff's Office, and I didn't care too much for it because it was working inside the jail, and that was just not a lot of fun. But there was one person who was an inmate inside the jail, and I cannot remember his name, but uh, he was an illegal alien here, but he had not committed a crime that warranted being uh, transported back to his home country. He loved living in jail, believe it or not. He was familiar with the environment. He had a place to sleep. He was out of the weather, and he got fed. One day, we released him from jail. His sentence was over, and he walked out the door. The sheriff's office in Clark County is up here. I think it's on Lexington Road, and just a little bit past that, heading back toward Athens, is where the police department is at. So this person walks out of the jail, walks down to the police department, steals a police car, and drives it into the police department front opening, their little uh, waiting area there. Also, he can go back to jail because he didn't want to experience something that was uh, unfamiliar to him. He was given his freedom, but he gave it away. And I say that because our passage of Scripture talks about prisons and talks about captives being set free. Today's passage of Scripture comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 through 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you today with great anticipation, Father God, of, of Christ's return but also, Father, a great anticipation of what Christ is doing in our world and in our personal lives today. Help us, Father God, to, to see clearly what it is that you have called us to do, the path that you have put before us. And Father, at this time, I ask that you take from me any desire to speak my own, but to empty me and fill me with your spirit, that every word spoken we come from your throne. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love reading about the prophets. I really do. They can get very difficult to understand sometimes, especially if you're looking at the book of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is not put together in chronological order. He'll, he will be talking about the beginning of something at one point, and then you move to the next chapter, and it's several years have passed down the road, and you go to another chapter even further back, and it brings you back to where you were at originally. Jeremiah is very difficult to read, but he is one of God's greatest prophets. And if we remember, the, one of the great messages that Jeremiah sent to God's children when they were in exile in Babylon was that they don't give up hope, but they keep living even when they were in a, in a country that they did not want to be in, God told them, don't listen to the false prophets. Don't listen to the ones that will tell you things that you just want to hear, but listen to the true word of God. 
And he told them, 70 years you will be, you will be in exile, but live your life, build houses, plant gardens, and have children. In other words, in that time, don't live it in misery, but live it in peace and with hope for a better tomorrow. And that's where Isaiah comes in because Isaiah was another prophet of that time and he brought forth this message. Now, here are the things that is hard to understand about prophetic messages. Some, like me, believe that they speak to two different times. That the word that Isaiah spoke spoke to, to those people that were in exile about their lives and their futures and the future of Jerusalem, but it also speaks of something more eternal about the coming of Christ and, and his role in our world and in our lives. Because after we read this passage here about the Messiah who, who's coming and he's going to break free all those people that are bound, it goes on to talk about what's going to happen next in their lives, which is the reconstruction of Israel. The reconstruction of Jerusalem, the walls that were torn down, the, the temple that was destroyed. He's giving that congregation of people present in that day a hope for tomorrow. God is saying through the prophet Isaiah that there is one coming who is going to fulfill your wish, who is going to move you into that time and that existence where all that you want, where all that you hope for will be fulfilled. But there is a more eternal and a more personal message in those words that God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. You see, some think that the, the original message that, that was heard by those in exile was referenced to Cyrus the Great, the leader who would come in later and, and, and take over Babylon and send the Jewish people back home in stages to rebuild their land. But it goes a lot deeper and a lot more spiritual than that. Jesus himself read these words to a congregation of people. It was after he started his ministry. He had went to the, to the desert when he was called, when his time was right to come into his ministry, and he was tempted by Satan, and he withstood every test that Satan put before him. And when he left that wilderness, he went to begin speaking in the synagogues, and it was then that, that he started to gain a name for himself. But then the day came that, that Jesus went back home to Nazareth. And he went into the synagogue and was given a scroll. And this is what we find concerning that written in the book of Luke. It says, So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as, cust as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover the sight of the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This looks very much like the text that Isaiah had written, the words that were spoken to Israel. But do you realize that there was a certain point left out of where Jesus was reading? He stopped at a certain point in this passage, and I believe he stopped there for a reason. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and look at verse 2, it says this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stopped before he went into moving about the day of vengeance. He stopped with his last proclamation to claim the acceptable year of the Lord. And me and a lot of people think that he did this for a reason. Jesus said this time and time again, and I say this. As a matter of fact, by the time y'all ready for me to leave here, you're going to have heard this so many times, you're going to say, I already know what he's going to say. That it is Satan, our enemy, who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said that I have come, that they have life and have it more abundantly. And that is why Jesus stopped before moving on to vengeance because we know that there is a day of judgment coming and we know that there is a day that, that Christ is going to return and carry us home and to restore our spirits with our bodies and reestablish heaven here on earth the way it was meant to be. But he stopped before going to that point because his mission was not to talk to us about judgment. His mission was to talk to us about hope, to say to us today the same thing that the prophets were saying to the people in the exile, that yes, times can get difficult, but there is a reason to hope. There is a reason to live, and that is why I have come, to preach the gospel to the poor. And so many times when we hear things talking about poor, we think about financial poverty. And yes, that is a true need in our society, and that is one that we're called to address. But there is a different type of poverty that Jesus refers to here, and it's the poverty of our spirit. Just like a man who was hungered for food or thirsting for water, there is an absence in his life, and there is only those certain things that can fill that void. Food must be supplied to fill hunger. Water must be supplied in order to provide the need for that thirst. But what Jesus is saying here to preach the gospel to the poor is to provide those who are in need of a spiritual healing with that healing. You see, we as a people are impoverished because of the Holy Spirit being absent from our life. Not because the Holy Spirit is around us, not because other Christians are around us, but because there is a need within each and every person to have an experience with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us before he leaves that when I leave, I will send another. And that other is the living Spirit of God to not just care for us, but to reside in our hearts, to to help pick us up when we're, when we're feeling down, to, to help keep us focused on our vision, to keep us moving forward, to help bring comfort when we're in need. And that is the first step toward Christ working in our lives. 
You see, we all want miracles. We all want everything to happen when we want it to happen, even though we tell our children constantly, you can't have what you want when you want it. You have to wait. There are certain steps that you have to go through in life in order to achieve things, in order to to grow and experience, in order to be prepared for the blessings that God has for you. And I think that we as a people sometimes find ourselves in that same state of mind that we find our children in. That sometimes that God has to, to use his spirit to, to pull us back just a little bit, to say, hold on, don't move back into poverty. Stay in the land of riches. Listen to what the spirit speaks to you in order to set you free in order for you to experience all that God has for you. Rely on the Holy Spirit. And in times of anxiety or in times of want, learn to be patient. Because God does not lie when he says that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And that when we wait upon the Lord and for his perfect timing in life, he will provide for each and every one of us the desire of our heart. That is God's gift to us as a people. That was what was everyone has been waiting on for for centuries for God to come into this world to restore our land. But unfortunately, if you are like me, we have different images of what that looks like. When we think of God restoring our land, we think of buildings and and finances and, and, and types of construction. But what God is really talking about when he says that if you seek me with all your heart, then I will restore your land, is that I will restore peace to your heart and your mind so that you can have the life that God intends. A life of peace and a life of expectation. You see, first step toward any goal in life is knowing who the creator is. I think the people in the Old Testament come to find that out the hard way when they went to build a certain tower in Babylon. We know it as the Tower of Babel. And what happened was a, a, a group of people got together and said, let's, let's build this tower. And as they began building, the tower got higher and higher. And they said, wow, the tower is going to reach to the heavens. Look what we can do with our own hands and our own minds, with our own will. And God looked down from heaven. And instead of praising them for their acts, he confused their languages so that they could not communicate with one another and they could not create 
what it was they wanted to create it. And that sounds like a harsh thing, but it is a wonderful blessing to us if we learn that lesson. And that is this, that God is the creator of heaven and earth, that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, not us as a people. And one of the hardest things that we have to do as a people in order to to gain God's blessing sometimes is to come to understand that we are a people of poverty, but God wants to take that poverty and fill it with riches when we let go of our own ideas and our own hopes and surrender our life to him that his will be performed in our life. That is why Jesus came. He did not come to take from us things that are good. He came to release us from those things that bind us, that keep us from experiencing God's blessings so that we can have everything that God has in store for us. He says that I come to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recovery of the sight to the blind. And I love those passages, especially the one about captives because of my policing background. And in sharing the story with you, I did about the the young man who stole the police car so that he could go back to jail. There's another story that that I heard one time before. Now, I'm certain that this story is not true, but it makes a good point about people who were imprisoned for their crimes. They spent their entire lives living inside a cell. And every day they were brought their food at a certain time. And if they were in need of medical help, well, then medical help was provided for them. And at one point, there was a person who wanted dental care. This is part, this, now this part of the story is true. Let me share this with you. I found it humorous. However, the other people did not. We did experience it. We arrested a young man in Buford, Georgia, for a crime, and he was sent to jail at Gwinnett County. There were, at that same time was a dentist who was serving time in the county jail waiting for his arraignment. Well, the mother of the young man that we arrested didn't think that it was fair that they provided medical care at the jail but not dental care, so she started raising all kinds of sand because she wanted her son to have dental care. So Sheriff Butch Conway was kind enough to to accommodate that mother by moving her son into the same cell with the dentist. We thought that was funny. The mother did not find that to be too funny. However, we have a different type of sense of humor than most people. But what we're getting at is this. People live in cells. They, 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 we, and, and not necessarily because they committed a crime. We can sometimes call these cells the lives that we've built for one another. And we are familiar with that life. And we're familiar with the way that the world functions within that life. And then Jesus comes in at some point and he opens up these doors kicks in the walls, however you want to say it, and says to us as a people, here, I have opened the door for you to experience something new, great, and mighty over here. And like a prisoner, this is what we will do sometimes. When we see that that door to freedom is open, when we see an opportunity to go and do something different, when we see the opportunity to experience God in a new and mighty way, we will walk out of what is known, just like the prisoner that I told you about, left the jail and experienced freedom from what he once knew for a moment. Only to turn around and run right back to what is known. See, even though it was uncomfortable for him, it was known to him. He was comfortable for him. He knew what was going to happen. He didn't have to do anything new. He just had to exist in the world that he already was a part of. 
And you know, when we talk about captives being set free, oftentimes we, we think about people who are bound by some form of addiction that need to be set free of, a, of an unhealthy way of life so that they can experience something that, that we know to be healthy. And sometimes when we think about the captives, we are talking about people who sometimes live in unhealthy relationships, and they just can't seem to get out of those relationships. And it's not necessarily a marital relationship that's bad, but, but sometimes we surround ourselves with friends who are bad for us, to be honest with you. The choices that they make, the way they choose to live, impact our lives negatively, and we can't seem to step out of that circle of friends. And Jesus comes in and he opens the door for us to make that way. And some of us will leave, but the majority of us will go back. But Jesus says that I want to set lib at liberty the captives. You know, being captive doesn't necessarily mean being in a bad situation. It can be mean that it's you're in a situation that is familiar where everything was good, but we need to move to a different location, a different idea, a different concept. And Jesus comes in and he opens up that door. And the question is this, are we going to take advantage of the opportunity that Jesus gave us? Because Jesus said, I came that you have life and have it more abundantly. And he opens that door for us. He breaks the chains and he empowers us through the Spirit of God to move into that direction. But we as a people have to choose to move. And that is the gift that God gave us. He didn't just open the door for us, but he sent the Spirit to live with inside us, to empower us, to move forward. But still, even with all that God provides, we have to choose. Those are wonderful gifts that God has given us for Christmas. And I say amen to that every day because of all the times that God has opened those doors for me that I didn't walk through, that he kind of pushed me through, and I th am very thankful that he did. And Jesus says that, that in this time that I came to give re recovery of sight to the blind, have you ever been blinded to the point that you couldn't see? It's a difficult thing to live with unless you live with it on a regular basis. I talked with people in the past who were born blind, and it's just regular life for them. They don't miss what we see because they never saw it, or at least the ones I spoke with, I can't speak for all, and it's kind of hard to miss something that you've never experienced. But we who are spiritually blind are more like this. We see what others have, and we see what they're experiencing, and we want what they have, and we want to experience what they experience, but we can't seem to find the way to do that. We try in our own power to overcome circumstances. We try in our own power to move things and people out of the way so that we can have what someone else has. And that, my friends, is what we refer to as spiritual blindness. It's not blind that, that our eyes don't see. It's blind that our hearts aren't seeing what God has for us. 
that just because something looks good or looks better in someone else's world doesn't mean that your world is all that bad. And it doesn't mean that God is absent from that world. And it doesn't mean that he's not trying to do something good for his people in the world they exist. But in order for us to see what it is that God has, we have to experience Christ in a way that we allow him to have control of our vision. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But, but sometimes we don't want to experience the truth as a people. We want to hear what we want to hear, how we want to hear it, when we want to hear it, and we want what we want right here, right now. We are just like our children at times. We have to be honest about that. We had none of us have come into full maturity. But being honest with ourselves is what John Wesley demanded of us as Christians and as Methodists. That we be a people that are disciplined by God and by self to walk into righteousness and to walk in holiness before a world that is dying. Not a world that needs a job. Not a world that needs new riches. But a world that needs to know Jesus Christ. Spiritually blind means simply this. I can't see what God wants for me because I won't move out of the way what I want to see for myself. But Jesus came into this world so that we can see. And when we learn to see, we learn to appreciate more the things that God has put before us. I keep hanging up on that word blind. It seems like there's something else that should go there. I had a cousin, Mark Spriggs, that I grew up with. On the little dirt road called Spriggs Road, the, the road was named after our grandfather who lived at the end of that dirt road as well. But Mark was an amazing, amazing young man. But when he was 15 to 16 years old, he began losing his sight. And Mark wasn't one to quit. He learned Braille. He learned how to, to learn by listening more so than by watching. He didn't let his environment and his disability dictate the course of his life any more than it could. But he didn't know his limitations. See, growing up, Mark would ride his little dirt bike up and down the dirt road and into the woods that, that we lived in. But when he started losing his sight, he had to put that hobby to the side, that thing that he enjoyed most. 
And after high school, he, he went on to college. He learned how to do body work on cars. And he was, it was amazing that he could feel the, the, the sides of the vehicle and he could feel the dents and we would be able to use the tools to, to beat the dent out and put the, the bondo in and send everything down. He was good at what he was doing for a very blind person, but he couldn't let go of part of his past. So one day, he was at the, my cousin's house, which is right down the road from me, and a friend from college came by. And that friend from college just had bought a brand-new Honda motorcycle. It was the kind that you sit on and lean into as if you're laying on the gas tank, and he couldn't resist the temptation of going back to something that he knew. And he got on that motorcycle, and he drove down Rock Springs Road to Rock Springs United Methodist Church, my home church, and turned around and came back. But as he came back, he had forgotten that there was a sharp turn in the road. And that motorcycle went off into the ditch. Now, I was probably 16 at the time, and, and at the moment that that happened, I was leaving my house to go to the store to get some gas to put in an old car that I was working on. And I got to the end of my dirt road, and I looked up the road to the left to see if traffic was coming, and I saw ambulance lights, and something spoke inside of me that said, Tommy, Mark is dead. And immediately I turned around that I was so convinced, so convicted of what I had heard in my spirit that it made me make a decision. And that decision was to turn around. And when I turned around and went back home, my mother come out screaming, Mark is dead. He was killed on a motorcycle. And I say that not to be depressing, but, but to point out this, that, that sometimes the, that we can get blinded by the past, blinded by the way things used to be, and if we don't remove our eyes off from what was and put them onto what is and look to tomorrow, death will certainly come, and that is not the will and the desire of God. The will and the desire of God is that we live and live abundantly. And Jesus said, I have come to give recovery of the sight to the blind. Let Jesus work in our hearts and our minds so that we see clearly our hope for tomorrow. Because you see, there's a thing that you really need to know today, and that is this, for every Christian. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which are invisible. That is my friends, is a powerful message, not just to us today, but to the world in which we live in. And I know there's a lot of stuff in there, but let me see if I can break it down simply. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. When we think about our forefathers, those who came before us, let's talk about Noah. Noah heard the voice of God speak to him, and he said, go, and I want you to build an ark on dry land. There is a storm coming, and this storm is going to destroy the earth. Noah had nothing else to go on other than the voice of God. There was no science in that day that was predicting this storm and when Noah went to, on faith 
He chose to believe. He didn't care what anyone else around him said. He heard the message from God. He saw the vision with his eyes that were opened, his eyes that were not blind, and he believed in it, even when there was no evidence of anything happening. And that's how God works in our lives. You see, for so many people, things are handed down from generation to generation. They did not build on their own accord. They managed what was already handed to them. But what God God calls for us to do in our society today is not to continue to manage what was, but to build something new. And in order to build something new, it requires eyes that see and hearts full of faith. Faith that believes the Spirit of God when He speaks to our hearts, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of what other people say around us. And that faith is spoke to here, as Paul says, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's our meaning and our purpose. God told us, I've given you eyes. I've taken the blinders off. You can see clearly no matter what anyone else says. And that evidence is our action, our moving toward what God has called us to do, even when nothing else seems to follow in its path. God did not call us to be managers of resources at all times. He called us to be dreamers and lovers of God and not lovers of men. He called us to be leaders in communities that are in need of leadership and not for our own purposes and not for our own glory but for God's purposes to bring his children home, to discipline them up in the ways of a Christian. And that one day, all God's children will give glory to God. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And that's where vision begins by the word of God. And can I share this with you? If you are not in the word of God, you will not know how to work when God calls on you. See, prayer is how we talk to God. And reading the scripture how God talks to us. So I challenge you to set aside one day with 15 minutes each week. Pick up your Bible and read it. Any passage, anywhere. And let God start speaking to your heart. Because it's those words that will allow you to look out into the future where you don't see resources, but see how God builds your life and your future. We lit the first candle today for hope.
And hope is not what, just what we need, but it's what we have through Christ Jesus. So in this season of Advent, let's not just remember how Christ came into the world, but let's remember why he came into this world. And start stepping out on faith and living in hope with eyes focused on God. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the time that you've given us together here today. And Father, help us as a people to step out of those prisons that, that sometimes we've built for ourselves and help us to step out into a freedom where we experience your love and your mercy and we experience your vision and your hope for who we are as a people. Help us, Father God, to be leaders in our community that would lead the lost back to you and help us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. That Christ, has di that Christ died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. May grace and mercy and peace, which come from God our Father and from Jesus Christ his Son, be with us who live in truth and love. Amen.